Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Um, it's a week. It's been the last week's been a couple years. The last couple years have been a lifetime. Um, this year in particular is pretty much sucks start to finish. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we're not going to get into it too far, if only because um, you know Dan and I talked before the show, and well, we were on the same page. I know many of you are on the same page in terms of what's going on and and all that. I think that there's there, there there's a line of how far you can go before you have to go further, and so I, I think instead of making this uh, a podcast, a college football and basketball podcast where two white guys talk about racism, uh, I think it's just better uh, for us to more acknowledge the fact that. Uh, George Floyd's murder was a tragedy um, and one that we're all too familiar with in this country. Uh, the protests were completely justified um, because of how angry everyone in this country should be, um, but Black Americans in particular should be because of how uncomfortable they're made to feel in their own country on a daily basis. Um, I don't condone the rash of violence uh, in many cases uh, brought on by the police and on agitators. Um, being brought in from outside the actual peaceful protest. Um, I wish all of this wasn't happening, um, but unfortunately due to um, the only time I really mentioned this on the podcast, I think even since he was elected, but uh, President Dumbass is too busy trying to incite a riot. And I hope that we are not headed towards even worse um, kind of actions in the coming days. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the only real hope here. And also like, I don't know. It's hard to put like a bright spot on any of this. It's so awful. And so just, it just beats you down every day. And unfortunately, like, you know, we're both in media on top of just like doing this podcast once a week. I can't avoid Twitter. I like, this is not reasonably possible for me. Um, I know you can't either. Um, so it's just tough. It's been, it's been a harrowing few days. I, I'd say if there's like one, like even semi-positive takeaway, it does feel like when compared to like the Ferguson stuff in 2014, like, it seems like the Overton window shifted a pretty decent amount towards towards where we need to get to um, people. And, you know, even the, the brands and I don't give the brands any real credit, but in 2014, like saying Black Lives Matter was like a super controversial stance for some reason. And in 2020, now it's just been um, adopted by like, you know, I'm sure Dunkin Donuts has tweeted it today and like Target and everyone else. And like that all feels very hollow but it's at least a difference from a couple of years ago and we need to get people on board, even if it seems like the stupidest people to get on board for this to, to change and like hopefully be one of the last times we have one of these, because obviously um, they happen every few years now uh, and have pretty much, you know, throughout our country's uh, history. So here's to hoping that it's like a gasping breath of a just horrible era that we just need to get behind us. But uh, I don't think, you know, hopefully the, the, the coming, uh, coming days aren't as painful as these have been, but it's tough to know. It's, it's, it's really, really, uh, really, really tough to, to get through every day here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that everyone like listening, whether you're in a city or not, whether you're in a, whether you are a marginalized group in this country or not, um, whether you're on the front lines of these protests or not, uh, I hope you stay safe. Um, I hope that everyone is able to stay safe from all the, the current catastrophes that, that we're dealing with um, right now. And uh, my, my thoughts are, are, are with all of you. I know that, you know, that thoughts and prayers language doesn't necessarily hold much water, but I, I am very much thinking about, um, you know, the people that I know and don't know um, around the country right now. Um, even those of you I know on just the internet and hope that everyone does stay safe um, and, and healthy in these, uh, these more uncertain than I think we, we, we've dealt with in a while times. Yep. I echo all those. I know there, you know, there are a lot of people that are just know mostly online or who I've met maybe a handful of times who have been out there, like if not on the front lines and like at least actively involved in this. And like, uh, it's, it's, you know, I just hope that everyone stays safe. It, I can't imagine this getting much worse, but ugh, who knows? Um, so yeah, just whatever, what John said and in, in both, you know, so far in these first 10 minutes and also in the piece for on the site today, I thought both very poignant. Um, so yeah, just everyone stay safe and, and and handle this how you feel like you need to handle it. Um, and I appreciate everyone who's who's really put themselves out there with it because it's uh, unfortunately it's probably something that needs to happen. And we just uh, just hopefully it doesn't have like a more 
catastrophic finish whenever however it wraps up here agreed agreed um we're talking about syracuse here because uh we are obligated to do that in some way shape or form um we'll also be talking about the Sun Belt today for those who want to be uh educated about um one of the 10 college football conferences you will find us talking about the Sun Belt in the second half of this episode um we'll talk a couple syracuse ten. definitely one of the best uh, <laughs> maybe one of the best 10 I think I feel like the Big West and uh, sometimes the CAA might give it a run for its money. That's fair. Maybe I, I'd say I'd say most likely one of the ten best volleyball conferences, or not the Big West. Sorry, the Big West died like years ago. Uh, the Big Sky, on the other hand, um, is a pretty good league. Uh, but yes, usually one of the ten best conferences in the country. <laughs> um, we, we will get to them um, and, and, and all the joys they bring. Uh, but first and foremost. Uh, Dan, get to know your Orange Man restarted today for the uh, for the. I think Sean's been doing that since at least oh, it's been on for eight. I'd say I think I was involved one of the first years. I don't remember if it was the first year, but like back in the days where we had like two or three staff writers, um, it was a that was a, a whole thing. And now I think you know it's more of a you know it's it's churned out like a machine, but. Um, always a fun thing to go through in the summer because you you know you kind of forget some of these guys are like you know when you're not watching the games every weekend you're like oh yeah this guy you know had these really nice moments and i remember his recruitment now and etc so um cool to read up on mckinley williams and and cooper dawson and a couple of the other uh guys in the 90s always a nice summer tradition yeah i mean for me it's a nice like i you know obviously like like many the the football wing of the staff i'm definitely in the weeds on who these guys are all the time but it is nice to kind of get a refresher on, uh, on really who could be starting, who could be seeing more playing time and all that. Um, I, I definitely remember the, the days of this being a very uh, lonely task. I remember one year, John and I just quit with two weeks to go uh, because for some reason, like that year, just like no one was commenting on them. And, I remember and we that. just realized we were just driving ourselves nuts. <laughs> we even I said, think it was right around the time. Care, like, Don't do this. And then like, you always have the rash of uh, late additions who you have to then like learn about these walk-ons who weren't on the team like the you know until the last couple of weeks of the summer so that's always a fun uh end point of that yeah i uh you know for, for like the behind the curtain stuff at, at, at noons spread pretty much since like 2013 like i've i've really gotten a lot of this stuff down to like a very strict like drumbeat and editorial calendar so i we, i think we finally figured out a few years ago that june 1st was the start date that like worked um to get everybody in i had like a like a cutoff date where like if you were added to the roster after a certain point, like you were not in get to know. Um, and that wasn't because of individual players or anything. It was just, you can only do so much. Um, you will not be you know, known until next year. <laughs> yeah. And then we had, like I said, we had the year where we had like no help and like me and Sean were the only ones doing it. And by, uh, by like the second week of August, both of us were just done. <laughs> just This is not happening anymore. I think like, I think like Eric, yeah, Eric Dungey might not have gotten one. There might have been like a couple other like really notable players. It's just like they just never happened. This has been behind the editorial curtain. You know what? I, I feel like when there's no sports to talk about, people want to know how people write about sports. How the how Probably. the noon sausage is made. <laughs> I there's gonna be like a not a tell-all book, but there's definitely gonna be like. I think there's a market for this, like a long form story about like how a blog runs for at this point, like almost 15 years to all the blogs I've wrote before. (laughs) I mean, Dan, do you actually think this is just like a, like media talking to media thing? Or do you think there's actually like a market for here's what blog ran for 15 years with minimal turnover in terms of like writers and ownership. (laughs) I love media talk stuff uh, as a member of, of you know, a, a loose, you know, the amoeba that is the media. So I think if you get enough media people to buy it, there's a market for it. Um, and, and obviously, like, in as much as there's a market for any Syracuse stuff, I think there's there'd be a market for it if it, you know, because, you know, there are those diehard readers. True. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would probably plan this out for, like, when I eventually, like, step away, <laughs> like, at some point in my life, maybe. Which Unless. which should be in the middle of get to know one summer. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like I'll just like there, there won't be any warning. I'll just like write up one for like the third string punt area. Then I'm like, nope, I'm done. We're, we 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 checked out of this exercise. I can't do this anymore. Said forty two year old John. Three weeks before the season. 
Now they have to rush and find a new uh, site manager. Such a dick move. Although really, like, I don't think, I don't think I could sustain being this angry about things into my forties. Like if I mellowed out, then like, like if I started smoking weed again, that's like an admittance, but whatever. It's not, it's, it's, it's legal now. So it's fine. Yeah. Like having yeah, smoked since college. So I haven't smoked since college. So like realistically, if I started like smoking weed legal, like legally here in California, um, I feel like maybe I could just blog forever, but if not, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's an end date on this. Just the, the blogging medicine. Maybe it's, I feel like this is like a, a an alternate version of a, uh, sorry, for, sorry for bothering you. What's the, what's that movie? That's years ago. <laughs> sorry to bother you. Yes. <laughs> this is how the, the big, big blog uh, machine turns. It's just legalized weed. Uh, this, this, this episode is already, what? uh, this sorry. podcast is one is one for the age. Just like, Oh God, <laughs> no sports. Yeah, plus this is everything that's happened. This is an all timer already. Like just like 12 minutes in it. So. <laughs> Just, just, just great. Um, some other Syracuse sports things. Um, Chris McCullough joined uh, Beheim's Army. There's a lot of players from a certain period of time um, on this team. And it happens to be the certain period of time that you and I reference frequently of kind of the like modern golden age of Syracuse basketball. So that's like 09 through 2014. Um, there's a couple of players like on either end of that. But realistically, like you're looking at that kind of sweet spot. And I think that's what is going to help Beheim's army um, both succeed from a like fan support standpoint and also succeed on the court. Um, Cause I feel like there are a lot of really great individual scorers, a lot of really good defenders. Um, there's a lot of guys that fit, fit into larger roles. And even a guy like Chris McCullough who only played like 10 games um, for SU before getting injured. Like he's somebody who fills a very specific role. Yeah. I mean, if you have athletes like that, like obviously, you know, his NBA career only lasted a few years and whatnot, but he was a five-star recruit for a reason. He's a big springy six foot 10 athlete. He can shoot a little bit. Like when you have a difference maker on the court like that, obviously he's not going to win you every game or anything. You know, maybe if we had like Carmelo come, come play for, for a year, which I feel like we talk about every summer, like, and it would be the most fun thing ever. But um, even if he's like a game breaker, when you have a, you have fresh legs, you have younger players um, and you have guys who've played together before. Uh, and then you get like those kind of next level guys who, you know, maybe could carve out an NBA shot again if they wanted to. Um, who are playing overseas? Like, I think I don't know. We 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 always see we always talk about the roster, and uh, every year I feel like we build on it a little bit, and we've done quite well in this tournament without winning it. Um, I don't. I, I just feel like they're they're bound to break through at some point. Yeah, I mean, really, it's going to take a, a, a you know perfect amalgamation of things from a bracket setup to just what other teams are are in to, I mean, who knows, maybe it's this summer. If it seems like the bracket's going to be a little bit smaller than what we've seen previously, it's going to take fewer games to win it all. Um, maybe every team isn't able to really put things together, depending on travel restrictions or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think this could be, this could be the year for them. Um, and I think that they, they've, I think they've taken a lot from, um, from the previous years, um, you know, lack of winning at all obviously like there's only so much you can do when the same team wins most seasons but i, I think they've taken a lot from you know even the elam ending and, and the changes that you know that took to the took to the tournament and how you know su wasn't necessarily always suited for um said ending so i i'm optimistic i think i'm always optimistic about this team just because i have like nostalgic about the players on the squad but this team in particular does look like it's uniquely suited uh, to win hopefully we see you know a- another big added i mean someone like rocking christmas i i without knowing anything i doubt he's going to be in just because of um you know i know he's a young child obviously with covid and everything else um, not really the time to necessarily be stepping away but hey if rocking christmas joined this team i think it would be a huge huge advantage for them i think your team christmas should join the team and i think he should convince michael jordan to jordan uh join the team that's the only thing that makes sense to me here now we're talking and then and then before every game have a printed out list of things that the other players did not say <laughs> under any circumstances <laughs> the old charlie strong but, but just feed mj this 27 yeah, year old former wichita state guard said mj's mj is only the sixth best player of all time just what i would do is just have like interview footage from all of them and then just dub in like criticisms <laughs> 
<laughs> and then yeah, and then just you know just put it put it on an iPad, and 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 then MJ can she can just cook after that. Imagine Jordan and the Elam ending. Oh, it'd be so fun. Christ, like he would. First of all, he wouldn't pass the ball to anybody. Like, like not a chance now. He stores fifty three points on overseas elite because of just because of the word elite in their name. Takes it as a as a it's direct. Like, Afterwards goes, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> he just judges them for never, never. For, for being overseas players, even though they win the tournament every year. <laughs> How overseas are you? Have you ever met Tony Kukoc? Guy's a bum. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Luke Longley. <laughs> who apparently hates him, which is a fun, fun note. I mean, not surprising. Yeah, I, I can't really... I, I can't really get surprised with any Bulls feelings on any any side of the Michael Jordan thing. Like, obviously, I get if you like pray to the altar of him because he won you a bunch of titles. But also, I like totally understand if you just are to- very much over it. And uh, it seems like there's a pretty healthy breakdown on either side of them based on the the, the last dance. Yeah, and I, I feel like the last dance might have uh, created some new fissures in that. Oh, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> very much so. I know one Scotty Pippen is not pleased. Fun times. Um, yeah, so just the, the world so so long ago when The Last Dance was airing, like two or three weeks ago. Uh, yes. Um, you know what? The other thing, I have we even talked about this really all that much? He, like, I did the You Can Only Pick Three Rivals series. Um, I did one about men's basketball. I did one about football. I did one about men's lacrosse. Um, we definitely talked about basketball men's lac- football, I think. Football, football. I feel like you and I are probably on the same page. It's BC, Pitt, and West Virginia, and like I, I don't really think there's a, like Penn State's not an option. It's just like punching up so hard, and you don't want to be that 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 team. Yeah, same goes for Miami. To be honest, even though Miami's kind of been not what Miami used to be, I still think like trying to claim them is just just so desperate and and not worth their time. Yeah, I think basketball is like obviously a very interesting discussion because of like the the history with so many different programs. I think the lacrosse one might actually be the hardest. That's what I thought going in. A lot of people are like you're a dumbass. There's like there's only three picks here, and maybe a fourth if you want Hobart. Um, for me, uh, for those who didn't read the article, I picked Hopkins, Virginia, and Cornell um, for various reasons. Uh, all of them should be obvious if you've watched any amount of Syracuse men's lacrosse. Uh, Dan, is is that your pick, or are you are you on the Hobart train? Do you want do you, do you really want to see Colgate every year? Um, I would probably go Hopkins and Cornell solidly. I think the third one's interesting. Obviously, you have like a historical thing with Princeton, although it's been tough because they've trailed off. I think you can then argue like one of the ACC schools. I might go Duke over Virginia, um, but you could definitely argue it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, the, the fact that Duke has like like we have some really really notable games against Duke, both in the win and yeah. loss column. Obviously, uh, the championship game. Uh, we had the ACC title. We won against them. Like, there's some good stuff there. And in general, like, there's enough in common between Syracuse and Duke's universities that like you can see how that one gets up there. I think Duke's still a couple years away. I think really, if I'm if I'm looking at the next team besides the three I picked. It's potentially Hobart because of the trophy, but I would, I would entertain Albany, even if the the rivalry aspect of that matchup is still like pretty new. I am not picking Army because every game against Army, I am absolutely terrified. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's just, it's such bad lacrosse. They, I was at the 2010 uh, NCAA game because it was like, it was like hours after commencement. I thought, all right, let's cap off my time at Syracuse with a, with a win um, since I've started my time at Syracuse with a loss. And nope, nope, we decided to lose that too. So I got to, got, got to do some nice bookending of my, uh, my orange experience. <laughs> Always <laughs> L- enjoy that. Yeah, lost to Iowa to start things, lost to Army to end things, 
Um, most fans that, are, that were around for that, that time period would say those are two of the more just like excruciating losses to have watched in person. So I, I, I feel like I've I checked a lot of boxes. I remember watching that one on TV. I left school before the, uh, or I left before commencement that year, but yeah, not a, uh, not ideal. I mean, it was, it was definitely, um, not like, I know I, the year before I stuck around for commencement, um, cause I had a bunch of friends who graduated the year before and Joe Biden was the, um, was the commencement speaker. Um, so I just wanted to like see that regardless of your feelings on Joe Biden, just at the time he was the sitting vice president. It was worth hearing from him. Um, unfortunately we ended up with Jamie Dimon, um, in the midst of a global recession and he had recession <laughs> jokes ready to go, um, just holstered, uh, which was, which was pretty, pretty awesome. And and he got heckled by by, by many a grad, um, myself included. Yeah, I feel eternally lucky that we got Aaron Sorkin. And I know, like, not everyone's the biggest fan of Sorkin stuff. But he gave a really good speech and is an SU guy and uh, and is a writer. So he, you know, actually delivered a, a quality uh, piece there. So, yeah, there have been a lot of other uh, less exciting ones than that. Um, so happy to, have, happy to have lucked out there. Did we even have a speaker chosen before... Dream before coronavirus like canceled this year's or postponed this year's um i doubt it i feel like jamie diamond wasn't announced for my class until like late march early april yeah i think that's usually pretty pretty similar to where it usually is i just wasn't sure if it had like just come out before that yeah i'm not sure what the exact timeline on that is though i just got a text message from a number i don't know to tell me to download the donald trump for president app now I'm gonna throw my phone <laughs> in traffic. <laughs> what timing? This is perfect. That near field communication shit. Like I, I'm gonna stop getting notes about curfews, and it's just gonna be notes about uh, voting for Trump. Perfect. Exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Get your own upside down Bible. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, the last thing we're gonna talk about Syracuse related before we jump in beer and some Sunbelt. Um, I entertained a stupid idea on Friday about a group stage for college football. I thought it could be fun if only to keep uh, teams in the same place and, and pave the way for uh, athletes to get paid. Kevin thought it was stupid, uh, <laughs> which is a nice role reversal for the two of us. Um, one of us taking a, uh, a, a flight of fancy and the other one throwing, you know, scolding hot water on it and saying, go F yourself. Yeah. It would have been fun. Um, I think I, I just don't know that logistically it could have really worked. Um, just having, I, there had to be a lot of th- steps taken before we get to the place where uh, where they they're going to be comfortable like taking the college football players out of off campus when campus is apparently going to be open for like three months total. I just like you have to really start to admit some things before you do that. Like the, the NCAA tournaments enough where they're flying all over the country for you know three upwards of three weeks. Uh, and barely on campus, if at all, if at all, um, to do it for like all of the fall, I just think um, you'd really be making a mockery of it. Not that not that it's not a mockery to be made, but um, I don't know. It's just hard to hard to imagine uh, them actually going to that step. Now, if we remove that and like actually talk about the idea and like actually just moving towards like getting rid of conferences in total and just doing like a group stage thing all year, uh, every year, and just mixing it up, that'd be super fun. Where you're just like playing different teams all the time. Um, but probably not like, you know, it doesn't work with the, the current model at all. Um, but yeah, it, it would have been a fun experiment, uh, to do something like that. Even if it was, you know, just, uh, even if they weren't housed at all the same locations or whatever, and they actually just did it because the, the schedule was going to be reduced or whatever, but it, there's so much tied up in contracts and like just so much goes into, uh, the college football season that just doing something on a whim like that, unfortunately, I don't think is super realistic. Yeah, I mean, it would never actually work like in a real season. It would work as a one-off, maybe. But had I had mean, we gotten I, to a point where like the season wasn't going to start till like mid-October, and we were going to like be like, well, we can play like an eight-week season or a six-week season and, or nothing, like maybe they could have gone for it. But I think they're just you know they're 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 close enough to be able to do a full season. It sounds like that. Um, unfortunately, it it wouldn't be something. But it, you know, I think there is a. There's a universe in which, like, the virus hit later, and we were like had a lot of uncertainty, and then maybe you look at something like a unique idea like that to just to to do something. Yeah, I mean, I might end up doing like a, a simulated season with this uh, on the site just for like some fun content. 
Um, our league, for those who didn't read the article, uh, we were group 10. And uh, basically what we did was we used SP plus from Bill Connolly and just staked the whole thing from, from group one to group 13 and back. Each league had 10 teams. Our league was A&M, uh, Texas A&M, that is, uh, North Carolina, TCU, Mississippi State, NC State, Duke, Tulsa, Syracuse, FIU, UNLV. So actually like a pretty interesting group of teams, a lot of them in the ACC, a lot of private schools. Definitely some entertainment value here, if nothing else. Uh, I think Syracuse probably could have done like pretty well in that group, all things considered. Like, uh, if if this is like a good SU team, if we had like a 2018 type SU team, like they could have probably finished in the top two. Yeah, which means you would have been potentially in contention for the 16 team playoff that I proposed. Hell yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you can get out of that group with with two losses, you're you're seven and two. It's probably gonna be a decent amount of seven and two teams. I mean, I think Clemson's got got the group of death. You got Clemson, Washington, Iowa, Northwestern, Navy, uh, Arkansas, Wake, Rutgers. Like there, there, there's there's some cupcakes in there, but like Clemson's probably not getting out of that group unscathed. I was actively rooting for the group stage uh, in NBA, like the proposal that Kevin O'Connor, yes. the ringer, wrote about. Like I was skeptical going in, and then reading his piece, and then listening to him on Simmons, I was like, "All right, I'm in." Like this sounds so much fun just strapping the conferences for this, like what's going to be like a ridiculous playoff anyway. Like, I don't know. It could have been a really interesting experiment and also giving you like a decent amount of data going in. Um, and also as a model, which I, they both talked about uh, on the podcast, like a model for like a potential midseason tournament, which is something that it sounds like Silver's Adam Silver's going to make happen at some point. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty cool idea, especially because like the NBA season has been so disrupted. Um, and that's where you have like an opportunity to really do something interesting. Like, the NHL is doing uh, a modified playoff that's not quite a full group stage, but has like elements. I think um, I'm the non-hockey fan here, so you can correct me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it seemed like this was the opportunity to try to do something a little more unique. And it sounds like we'll probably just get a regular, like what eight, seven or eight games per team, and then uh, join the playoffs is what it sounds like is is moving up. Like going to be the case here. Sounds pretty lame. Uh-huh. Yeah, would much rather group play. Um, I mean, I'm not going to play when really, I'm back, but yeah, like I think yeah, a lot depends on that. A lot depends on like realistically, like this is probably the season to do it, just because I think that the the top, I do feel like the top 16 teams are pretty clearly like beyond the other ones, um, in in my mind. But yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed if they end up going with something less than group stage at this point. The NHL one's an interesting one in that it's 12 teams per conference instead of the eight teams per conference. They're getting rid of divisional playoffs, which divisional playoffs are awful. And you can ask any hockey fan about that. Um, They're doing uh, buys for the top four seeds in each conference. And then they'll play one another in a round Robin to determine who the top seed is and seed accordingly from there. Um, Then after that, you get a 5-12, and 8-9 matchup. Um, and those teams will play out in the first round to get themselves to the quarterfinals, uh, which is usually where the hockey playoffs start. Uh, my New York Rangers are the 11 seed, but they were only two points behind the team they will be facing, the Carolina uh, Hurricanes, as the, uh, as the sixth seed. The Rangers also have the most uh, wins in regulation of any team um, in the first round, which to me uh, could mean some positive things. So... We'll see. Um, as I, I think I mentioned somewhere, maybe it was on this podcast last week. Looking forward to the thirty for thirty when the Rangers run from uh, from eleven seed all the way to uh, the Stanley Cup. Not to not to totally derail us here, but a, a thing just came out, and I assume you haven't seen it because it just came came out. It's sports related. I'm going to read you a letter that was sent from a sports executive to the employees, and I assume that also means players, because said employees are mad that the this organization has not made a statement yet. Uh, I'm going to leave out the names and I want you to guess who sent this. Um, who sent this just frankly, like total chicken shit letter. Um, a message from blank. We know that some of you have asked about whether our company is going to make a public statement about the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. I want you to know, I realize the importance of the issue. Therefore I want you to understand our internal position. This is a turbulent time in our country. The coronavirus and civil unrest have taken their toll on our way of life. We at blank stand by our values as a, of a respectful and peaceful workplace. We always will. As companies in the business of sports and entertainment, however, we are not any more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion on social matters. What's important is how we operate. Our companies are committed to upholding our values, which include creating a respectful workplace for all, and that will never change. 
what we say to each other matters, how we treat each other matters, and that's that what will tell us through this difficult time. That is a letter about why this organization and this person have not said anything in the last couple of days. Uh, do you want to take a guess? I feel like it's got to be the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, ding, ding. That is a message from Jim Dolan. Of course it is. That's honestly, that was the first name that came to mind. The next one was going to be the Mets. <laughs> it could have easily been the Mets as well. Because the Mets wouldn't want to pay for the, uh, the the email service to send it to that many employees. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Uh, it's probably somehow better than the uh, the song that he wrote in like 2014. Um, so maybe he can find like a, an alternative route from those two uh, wildly differing ventures. I love the uh, Chicago Blackhawks message uh, on company letterhead with the logo that said racism will not be tolerated. It also might that that's great. It also it might still be better than the Mavericks uh, rebound pun though. I didn't even see it to be honest. Oh, it's bad. It's not like offensive. It's just like it's like now is not the time for like dad jokes, people. Like, can we not? Yeah, I'll uh, I have to investigate that after the podcast. But I I, I know I already know I'm going to be annoyed. Uh, this has been dancing. fun times in sports PR. Yeah. Speaking of things that are not annoying, though, maybe, um, what have you been drinking? Um, I've, I haven't really had anything new this week. I, I finished off uh, the Tom's River. Uh, I got some more all-day IPA just because uh, it was a simple thing to get a 15-pack of. Um, and then I just worked down the rest of the stuff I had. So I, I haven't gotten a delivery of anything yet. Uh, I was going to get Carton, but they have a two uh, – two, uh, what's it call it? Um, I don't know. It was going to be prohibitively expensive for me to order a bunch of carton to get delivered. It was like going to end up being almost 200 bucks or else I wouldn't do it. So, um, yeah, so I haven't, I haven't rectified that situation yet, but I am exploring my options. I might actually get stuff from uh, last wave brewing up in point pleasant, which is some good stuff. So they're a little more reasonable and more local. Um, or I might drive up to carton one day and help them out. Uh, I just didn't feel like paying 200 bucks to get too much beer for me to drink in like my time here. Totally makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, I, I haven't caved on, like, getting a case of anything, um, even, like, the variety cases, just because... Case was the word I was looking for. Yeah, it, a two-case minimum, which is so much. It's just, it's a lot of beer. Even one case, it's just a lot of beer. And if you're getting anything, like, pale ale IPA-wise, like, if you're the only person drinking it, and in my house I am right now, like, I'm, it, it's not going to work. Yeah, I've like only been having like one or two a night at most. So maybe I think I had like three the other night. Really got crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was just like I don't know how long it'll be down the shore. I didn't want to like just have to have the responsibility of like pounding beers, which isn't necessarily like something I want to do every day. Um, so yeah, so I will. I will hopefully reload soon. I'm, I'm running low on like actually good stuff uh, or at least interesting stuff. So next week I'll have more to report on. I think. Nice. On my end, uh, Highland Park had Timbo Pills again, so I bought some more of that. Um, buddy of mine doesn't like sours, and he ended up getting Modern Times Infinity Waves, um, which is, they called it a uh, Mega Goza with uh, peaches, tart cherries, and blueberries. Actually tasted like a nice uh, kind of like really dry red wine, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and I also had a Sour in the Rye Pineapple and Coconut from Brewery Tarot. Um I forgot, like, one of the reasons I stopped, it's not to hate on the brewery because I like their stuff, but one of the reasons I stopped drinking their sours so much is because they end up being uh, kind of hardware machines um, in a lot of ways, despite the beer being really good. So uh, this one was really good until suddenly I was dealing with some really bad heartburn. But uh, again, enjoyable beer. Sour in the Rye, the base beer there is a, uh, is a really good one um, from them for those who haven't tried it out. I think I've actually had the Sour in the Rye. Yeah, it's it, it's a really excellent brew. I mean, they they've got their like base sours are still like fantastic, like sour in the rye, tart darkness, uh, oat tart, a couple other ones that are just like really really excellent beers. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I did just find there's a little too much heartburn at the end for me. Uh, so not the way I want to cap off the the weekend of drinking, but still still an enjoyable one until that point. Yeah, that's always a concern, and the sours do get you, which are like you wouldn't think going uh you know, off the top, you'd think it'd be something else, but definitely a present concern. Although I do, I do love them as well. Agreed. Um, all right. Talked for a little bit, at least here, um, about the Sunbelt. Dan, obviously there's some fun teams in here. There's some fun players in here. Um, who's your favorite in the conference right now? Um, 
you know, I, we, we can ignore the nonsensical East-West divisions for a 10-team league um, and, and just focus on the best team of, of that group. Um, who, who would you be picking out of the Sun Belt right now? Um, it's tough to pick against Appalachian State. Uh, I'm not going to pick them, but uh, it is tough to not pick them uh, because of how much success they've had, and they've really turned into, like, one of the best G5s that doesn't get nearly enough credit. Um, obviously, everyone remembers, like, the Michigan upset way before they were FBS, but, like, they've just been a, a total titan over the last couple of years. I think they finished, what, 27th in S- SP+. Plus, so uh, just a really good team, but they're now going on their third coach in as many years uh, after Elijah Drinkwitz uh, took the Mizzou job. I'm going to go with the uh, Louisiana Rage and Cajuns. Um, Billy Napier's just been really consistent there. They were uh really like unheralded last year even though they won 11 games they finished 32nd in sp plus um i i think they they bring back a, a decent amount um obviously they uh you know lose some guys off of 11 win team as as teams do but um they have recruited really well uh they have a pretty friendly schedule overall they bring back i think most of their defense i believe it was 16 of their top 21 tacklers or something uh that's coming back so um I just think they have things lined up here to to have a really nice season. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to refuse to ever call them Louisiana, and I will always refer to them as UL Lafayette um, because get, that's how I roll. Get ready for some e- get ready for some emails. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take the emails. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Actively I've not done, doing it. I'm pretty sure most. It, it's they just need a better branding exercise for this. I always forget. And they email you every time you write UL Lafayette. Not not like their fans, just them. They they their PR people get on you. And it's like, guys, you're not like, no one remembers that you're just Louisiana. It's tough, but they have like, also you, know, you can't, you can do Lafayette. Doesn't, you can't like, do it's like, but doesn't like, doesn't Louisiana law say that no school can go by Louisiana though. I, I'm not sure. I thought, that was I, the, got, I, thought that's, I thought that's the problem that LSU fans have with it. It's just like a giant style guide they have. And you all Lafayette, I think is, is like, directly uh against whatever they believe their name has to be so um but it's just like tough to like when you say louisiana like people don't know what school you're talking about unless they're really in the weeds on college football yeah so anyway ul lafayette is yeah ull all uh, uh, 51st and uh sp plus they uh they're looking pretty good on offense you bring back that many skilled players um and, and guys who did really well last year you're obviously going to be favored once again I think the problem with the Sun Belt is always going to be that there's like a, t- a strong top half. You know, you're looking at, you know, UL Lafayette. Um, you're looking at App State, obviously. Um, I feel like Georgia State's kind of creeping into that conversation, even if they're not all the way there yet. Um, obviously, Troy and Georgia Southern um, as your kind of like top group. And then there's like everybody else that's kind of like a borderline FBS program. And you can pay it a lot of wins there. So really it depends on just how the schedule shakes out um, in any given year. I think, I think UL Lafayette's probably the favorite, but I do think App State um, could find themselves, you know, win the league once again. Would not surprise me in the least. Um, I'd also like to commend UL Monroe for, uh, for seemingly like adopting full-time the old, uh, the old ULM logo or like an adjusted ULM logo to mimic the, uh, the old one. I know the, uh, the retro uniforms that they trotted out against Florida State last year were pretty awesome. So uh, um, props to them. Yeah, I feel like Monroe is always just like on the precipice of having like an awesome season and just they have moments they just can't ever quite put it together. Um, but like I'm always just waiting for them to fully just embrace the fun row uh, thing that was like emerging a couple years back when they I think they beat Auburn and like they just had like they strung together like a couple of moments, but they just never quite, uh, I think they've only made one bowl, which is shocking. Yeah. I think just the Sunbelt's ties just suck. And then the years yeah, that they've been like good are, are years that there aren't enough like bowl slots versus the years that they've been bad. There's been like five and seven teams making bowl games. It's tough. And this year, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be their year. I think they have some, some decent experience coming back, but they lose Caleb Evans, who was like a legitimate, really fun quarterback. Um, and I believe their schedule is pretty tough. They have, uh, I have to look it up. Um, I think they have a couple SEC games. Sounds like something they would do. And they'll take a payday. They have Georgia and Arkansas. Which, and then they also oof. have Liberty, who's not, you know, a, a pushover. And then they have Troy and Arkansas State, obviously. So it's uh, not fun. This sounds like a bad idea. Meanwhile, you get a team like Troy that actually scheduled really well. Um, 
they're facing Arkansas Pine Bluff to start the season at UMass. Um, you get NC State, which at at you get NC State at home, which uh, this, I this mean, is the year if I'm, if I'm State, <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm State, I'm very concerned. If I'm Dave Dorton, <laughs> I'm very concerned that I did not get another job um, before this season. Um, and then who else do they have in non-conference? At Tennessee, play? Uh, at Tennessee, I don't think you're going to catch Tennessee anymore. I think they they rebuilt themselves as something respectable. Yeah. But otherwise, like, I mean, South Alabama's on the road. Uh, you got Arkansas State's tough game on the road. But Texas State, ULM, Georgia State. Like, there's the, – Troy's got enough here for, for an eight-win, nine-win campaign, um, even if they're not necessarily any better than last year. Yeah, they should take a nice step forward on defense. I think they rolled out a lot of freshmen and sophomores last year um, on, a, on a, you know, team that – played pretty well they they lost a lot of close games uh in uh their first year under chip Lindsley, which is uh you know something we know all too well um offensive line uh so yeah i think they have an opportunity to to take a nice step forward and and make themselves a presence here again after uh just one down year post coaching turnover which was to be expected they were just flying so high after for a while there oh yeah and obviously like player turnover on top the coaching turnover didn't help um a team that I always feel like should be good, but never is, uh, Texas State. Uh, just given where they are, San Marcos, perfect location for a uh, college football powerhouse. Um, and yet, uh, they struggle consistently. Um, I don't really know why. I guess just because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it really isn't. Like it's in a good intersection of like big Texas cities. Um, in any case, uh, not a bad non-conference schedule for them. SMU, UTSA, and Ohio all coming to San Marcos. Um, and then they're on the road at New Mexico State. Really, like, I mean, Ohio's going to be pretty good, I think. I think SMU is also going to be pretty good. But if you can you can knock off two of those teams, potentially, um, of, of the four. Um, and then from there, they actually have a really tough, I think, in-conference slate. Um, at Georgia uh, Southern, they got App State. They got UL Lafayette. They got Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, at Troy, um, and then at ULM. This just, like... Texas State was even like halfway decent. Uh, this, this would be a really entertaining season. I just feel like they're just going to get – if they can survive the first half, they're just going to get massacred in the second half. Yeah, it, like you said, when I when I was in Texas a couple of years ago, it really struck me like it's directly in between Austin and uh, San Antonio, basically. So you'd think they have a nice corridor and there's enough players there, but they've struggled to get off the ground. Would you say the same thing about like UTSA and some of these other uh, Texas schools that have bumped up in the ranks like – there seems to be everything lined up for them to be like a good group of five. And, and it's just not that easy. Um, but there's something interesting here. Uh, you have uh, Jake Spavadol entering year two. He's taking over the play calling. Um, you have a, a potentially interesting quarterback battle. Tyler Vitt is back after playing a bunch last year. Um, not great numbers, but you know, experience uh, 231 attempts. Um, and he's played a bunch of the last two years. Um, they have a Memphis transfer and Brady McBride at quarterback. So, you all have a legitimate duel there. He does not have as much experience, although, you know, like the Memphis quarterbacks have been pretty good overall. So the fact that he was recruited there is a, a decent sign. Um, yeah. So that they're another, they just have a ton of potential and it'd be interesting to see them execute on it, but it's getting into that top of the league is, is tough there. There's just so many, there's, you know, you have all these teams that are just remain there and it seems like one might fall off, but it's hasn't proven to be the case so far, even with coach and turnover and whatnot. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get most of these teams. Like this bottom half of this league is there. I guess it's just more profitable to be an FBS program than a successful FCS one. Uh, but I, I would think that that some of these teams are probably better served um, elsewhere. And who knows? Like I hope this isn't the case. But you know, perhaps um, given budget cuts and and sort of the resource restrictions that are going to come with the you know sports in the rest of twenty twenty, um, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, to see maybe some teams entertain the idea of either dropping the FCS or just dropping football altogether. Um, obviously, like Idaho did the FCS drop, and you would have thought that they would have been one of the more talented teams at the FCS level, and they've actually kind of struggled there too, uh, much to the chagrin of fans. Um, so I feel like that might be a cautionary tale for some, uh, but could also be you know a, a way to expedite things and say like, hey, like football for for some just like doesn't necessarily work, and 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 like we were talking about doesn't really make any sense that, that football wouldn't work in San Marcos, Texas or San Antonio, Texas, um, or some of these other Southern outposts, but 
you know, it's not good enough to just be, you know, in a big city like Georgia State would be a powerhouse by now if it was. If it was. Um, for some, it just, you know, just about you know finding a way to quickly catch lightning in a bottle, get a couple of really good recruits, a good coaching hire, um, and then hope, you know, that 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 the local city catches on, the students catch on because you can't, especially in college football now. I feel like twenty years ago, like you saw programs like USF and UCF and Boise and those like. I, I don't think it's that easy anymore to, to manage because a lot of these schools, it's not like they had like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of, of FCS history. These were schools that largely were like kind of popping up out of nowhere um, with football programs in big cities and then hoping that it worked. And I think really like the, the, the key is that it's not that easy. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Like a lot of these schools that made the jump were doing so based on demographics and based area. Um, but as you said, like just being in a city doesn't guarantee success, even if like, you know, uh, Georgia state obviously thought they had a slam dunk and they've had some success. Like they've, they've, uh, made some bowls and they obviously had the win over Tennessee last year, which is great. But like Atlanta is like the college football city if there is one. Um, but it's an interesting test case because them, uh, they basically launched their program to jump up to FBS. Um, they're now rival Georgia Southern. Uh, entered FBS right around the same time after being a longtime FCS power. Now, if you compare the two and you say, like, which of these schools should become the better FBS program? Is it the one that might have, like, a lot of FCS tradition, but they're on the triple option and they're very, like, unique in their circumstances and they're in Statesboro um, versus the one in Atlanta that had, like, kind of the freedom to do whatever they wanted in terms of steam and in terms of hire. They hired a former, I mean, technically a former SEC head coach. Um You'd say Georgia State, and obviously they've gotten Southern a couple times, but just the culture at Southern just wins out. Um, and even when they really bottomed out uh, a couple years ago, they've bounced back to being like a respectable program. They might not win 10 games like they were a couple years ago, but um, it's just pretty clear that they've worked out better at this level, uh, at least in the short term, uh, despite having you know some serious dis- uh, disadvantages when compared to, to State. Yeah, I mean that—that's the thing. You can't manufacture culture in college football. It's something that, that that happens organically. It happens over a long period of time. It happens with success, and you know Syracuse fans can relate to this too. Like, it's just not—we don't like—we have a football culture, yes, but it's—it's it's pocketed. I think it—it it shows itself at road games sometimes, and it does at home games, um, just because of the nature of those who do travel uh, to see Syracuse on the road. Is anyone like who sat in those sections will attest to like um, SU does really show up on the road, football and basketball. And that's obvious to fans, uh, you know, after the fact, but I, I think it's the, the schools do show like just how hard it is to manufacture um, culture, just in no matter where you are, I think too, you know, when you look at how our lives are structured, when you look at how sports are structured at this point, like what you were able to manufacture out of nowhere in the seventies and eighties and nineties, even, um, it's just so starkly different from what you can do now. And just people don't have the space for it. You know, like there's just, it's, it, it's why like expansion for, for, for professional teams in the United States kind of stopped at like 32 or so, because realistically, like people don't have space for another team anymore. Like everyone's got their teams. Everyone's got, there's so much invested in for like a lot of these squads, you know, like, I mean, whether the Cowboys or Jacksonville Jaguars, like everybody's invested in the, the, the areas and markets they know, um, that they need to create a fan base in. And once you do that, and once everyone does that, like it's not that easy to flip a switch and just say, all right, like now I'm a fan of the, you know, South Georgia, like Matadors. Okay. Like, and just like suddenly like create that fandom out of nowhere, obviously a ridiculous example there, but uh, j- just pointing out, like, just, it's, it's not, it's not as simple as can this market support more teams anymore. And that's why like any talk of another, a third baseball team in New York, or even another soccer team in New York at this point um, in MLS, like it just seems like misguided. Yeah. It's just hard to f- make people fans of something. Like obviously it's worked in a couple spots. Like you look at the, the, uh, the Vegas hockey team, uh, the Golden Knights and the Raiders already have like a national brand. So I don't think it's a big, as big a deal for them, but like it can happen. Like if you put the basketball team in Seattle, I think you'd, you'd have success. Um, also because it's already, yeah, it's there. Yeah. You have the infrastructure built for you. The sonnets are ripped away. Like that's what, like, that's why a lot of these expansion uh, cities outside of Vegas, which was like kind of its own thing and expanding growing city, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's like, it's tough to, to just make it happen out of nowhere. Um, 
like and if you do like it has to be built on something like really strong like okc did it but they uh just happened to catch like imagine if they didn't have kevin durant and russell westbrook basically like when they moved um it would have been very hard to plug in like a sacramento kings level franchise there and have a succeed it might have already been moved again um but like yeah if you luck into having like some superstars which obviously you can't do as well on the college level especially if you're coming up from like a lower level like you're not going to go get cam newton to come to your team as you know the south alabama jaguars um so yeah it's just uh it's not easy and it, it but it's also not easy to like play the long game and say like oh we're gonna build this program start in d2 work our way up to fcs after like you know winning some championships and then do what appalachian state or georgia southern has because like i don't think that was in their plans it's just where things progressed um so you like kind of understand where the model of like we're in a big city let's make a program and get it up to fbs in eight years like i understand the thought process behind that but uh i don't know it it, it hasn't i haven't seen one work out super well yet you, you know maybe there's a bowl season here or there but um it's definitely tougher than it's probably some people would think on paper couldn't agree more <laughs> dan anything else before we head out i feel like that was a good place to kind of stop our uh our sunbelt preview no, I mean, we could probably say our championships. Like, I'm going to, I said Lafayette. Um, who do I want out of the East? Uh, it's got to be App State, right? I would think, yeah, I'll go with App State. It's a boring answer, but like, you know, new coach, you don't really know what's going to happen there. Sean Clark makes a lot of sense for them, but um, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to pick up what Satterfield and drink what's built there. So um, I think it's App State, you know, maybe one of the two Georgia schools, but they have their own questions. So I'll do App State just kind of uh, by default. Yeah, I'm I'm going UL uh, L versus App State. Um, I'm actually going to pick App State to win. I, I I just I I don't have any reason to pick against the Mountaineers given what they've been able to build at this point uh, on a consistent basis. So App State it is. Yeah, I mean that's just a it's hard to argue with it. It's just a, they've they've withstood everything so far. They have a ton of talent. Um, yeah, it's like you said, the culture wins out. Um, It'll be interesting if they if they do it again. Like they're starting to, I think Bill C like mentioned Boise State, and obviously I don't think they have that kind of ceiling. But like with just withstanding constant coaching turnover and still having the same results or largely similar results, like that's it's super impressive if they can do that again. Agreed, agreed. Uh, well, Dan, uh, I know this was a weird episode. It was a weird time we're in, but I uh, appreciate you hopping on today. Yeah, hopefully uh, things are a little bit sunnier next week, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, be safe out there and go orange. Stay safe, go orange.